Hello, lucky listeners, and welcome to episode 20 of Culture Goals Pop. I am Scott Wilson, and I'm here with Steve Strobridge. On this week's episode, we will be doing our season wrap-up of She-Hulk, or rather our season one wrap-up of She-Hulk, since it only has one season so far. So we're going to be getting into the stories, character beats, and other developments in the world of She-Hulk. Absolutely. It's probably worth mentioning where She-Hulk started and, and what this series is kind of based on, but the, the She-Hulk the Savage She-Hulk comic book was published in 1980 and it was by Stan Lee and the legendary John Bushima. And so that's when She-Hulk started. So She-Hulk's been around for a while, a good 40 years. Um, but what you told me, which I wasn't aware of, that the live action streaming series we're watching now is based on a run by Dan Slott which ran between about 2004 and 2005, or at least that's when that originated. So um, I know most good Marvel things get rebooted over time, so apparently She-Hulk is no exception to that. Yes, uh, no Marvel character is an exception to that, actually. They tend to, I think, every 10 years or so, sort of retrofit or refit their characters for that era to make them more relevant, to make them more appealing to quote-unquote new readers, which are hard to come by for the two big publishers these days. Like, I think that the current iteration of Frank Castle, I don't think is a Vietnam veteran anymore. I think he's a veteran of one of the more recent wars. So it kind of works like that. She-Hulk is no exception. I think the basic... When you think about it, when she originated in 1980... By 2004, that had been, what, 80? That's been like 30, 30 years. A good 30 years. Before well, 24 reboot. years. So, okay. Well, listen, who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> Don't expect me <laughs> right. to do math, right? So. <laughs> You're right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and then here we are now with uh, season one just wrapped on Disney Plus. Live action. She-Hulk, attorney at law. Uh, initial reactions to the season, Scott. Love it? Hate it? My initial reaction is I liked it mainly on the strength of the titular character, the title character, and the lead actress. I think she's great as Jennifer slash Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. She's amazing in that role. She's cute. She's funny. She's smart. Uh, she's a very easy... She offers a very easy character to like and to follow and to root for. I like the show. I don't love it because the show itself is a bit nebulous. It's more, it's like Ally McBeal, but in the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's kind of nebulous. It felt like there was no real narrative through line this season. They try to develop one kind of late. So I think this is a show that'll probably get better with time if it's allowed another season they can sort of work on that aspect of it i think they were trying to offer sort of a sitcom format where there's really no connective tissue between the episodes or not much connective tissue and everything is fairly lighthearted and it kind of evaporates like cotton candy at the end of each episode so i I may be wrong wrong about that but that's the feeling i I liked it i like okay 
I thoroughly enjoyed it on the strictly entertainment value. And again, I'm not looking at this from a purist's point of view, like I would look at Star Wars as being like, you know, the holy scripture. Um, since I didn't really grow up on the She-Hulk comic, I don't have any emotional ties to it. I'm actually not that familiar. Other than I know she's big, green, and strong, and she's related to Bruce Banner. That's about as much as I've known from She-Hulk. I also knew that she basically, unlike the Hulk who loses Bruce Banner's consciousness, she is like a hybrid where she's not quite as big, but she's fully mentally aware of who she is, but then she can has the advantage of the super strength. So that's about as much as I knew about She-Hulk for the past 40 years, that she's a Marvel character. Um, and it was great to see her on screen. Um, I really enjoyed the series. A lot of it's, it's like you say, very lighthearted, very comical. Um, there, There is a little bit of a drama and a thread through it that kind of gets revealed and, and paid off in the finale like who who is this who's trying to steal her blood like early on we see that she gets jumped in an alley and they're trying to steal her blood well who's trying to steal her blood and why are they trying to steal her blood so that was kind of strung along the supporting characters and some of their arcs uh, did have some uh, continuity thread throughout the season um i did like the supporting cast her boss her co-workers uh, nikki uh, her best friend um very interesting um portrayal of, of, of you know fictionalized law firm um, specializing in defending uh, superheroes or supervillains or just you know people with power uh, interesting cast of what we'll call the D the the D list the superhero D list yes, very much. <laughs> you can get to see the, the some really warmers the bench warmers it's like the other the guys in the dugout the other guys the in the dugout the third string quarterbacks. Um, so to be able to see these quasi heroes that um, you've probably never heard of and, you know, would definitely never make it to the big screen, but to have them portrayed as everyday people, I thought was really neat. Um, seeing Emil uh, Blonsky as the abomination and the kind of journey he went through between the Incredible Hulk movie and this season, how he kind of became reformed in prison and became a changed man. Um, it kind of reminded me of the um, the actor who played the Mandalorian in the Iron Man movies. Like he was an actor playing the Mandalorian and that character to kind of like, uh, kind of, I can't think of the, and Ben Kingsley's a real actor, but his Trevor, I think was his name. Oh, you mean, the, yeah. you mean the, yeah, you mean the Mandarin. The, the Mandarin. Mandarin. Did I say Mandalorian? Sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> the e- Mandarin. Easy, easy, mistake, easy mistake to make, folks. They were both yeah. owned by Disney. Um, so the the actor Trevor, who who was pretending to be the Mandarin in Iron Man, right? Uh, Blonsky kind of reminds me of him, that kind of character. They're kind of like easy going. No worries, mate. It's all good, right? I'm just here to get my groove on, you know? So that the kind of mellowed out version of him. I thought was really interesting um, how he just kind of found peace. He's now become kind of like the spiritual guru kind of guy. <laughs> you know, he's got a retreat that all these D-list heroes come to find themselves and have group therapies and and all this kind of stuff. That stuff I thought was really an interesting character study as well as just a good, you know, played out for good comedy, good, good content too. So I enjoyed that. Um, some kind of breakout stars. So Wong kind of steals the show 
and whenever he comes in and comes out and he the friend he makes Madison uh, you know uh, he picked the, the one episode where you got the guy who's using magic unauthorized use of the of the mystic arts and Wong has to kind of like stop this guy from doing what he's doing and picks up like this kind of barfly chick Madison who just was it's just so funny and they become like best friends and they're watching TV shows together so a lot of that kind of stuff with unexpected value added humor um, I really enjoyed um, I enjoyed the struggle of Jen wanting to be Jen and not wanting to be the Hulk but you know kind of having to Hulk when she had to um, the, the reluctant hero I thought was interesting. Um, I, I, I think my only complaint about this is I'm not sure, based on how she is now, this kind of slapsticky-ish, um, breaking the fourth wall type character, I'm not sure how well she would fit into a um, big screen MCU movie. They would have to rein back some of the things about this series in order for her to fit in with the normal fabric of what we consider consider be like an Avengers style level movie, you know. Um, so I'm not sure how she's gonna play out on the big screen. I can see her being included into the big screen adventures of the MCU. Uh, my, my only uh, just to piggyback on what I was saying earlier. Well, I guess this isn't, this isn't my only complaint. It would be one of a few complaints. Again, there didn't seem to be a narrative through line where they established a credible threat from the beginning of the show that sort of paid off at the end of the season. That's number one. Like, there was no... I guess there was no real big bad or main villain for her to fight. I mean, they sort of did that with one character which we can discuss in a few minutes but there was no real it, it just felt like it wasn't heading wasn't building towards anything substantial and, and I while I like the humor of the show a lot I like the humor I like the approach I like the tone I think sometimes it's a little too fluffy and lighthearted. there needs to be it's fine to have a lot of humor but I think that there needs to be sort of an undercurrent of seriousness while you're sort of tossing all these jokes off the bouncing all these jokes off the wall and there's a lot of self-deprecating humor in terms of Jennifer Walters herself that's great but just keep an undertone of seriousness in there just to keep it anchored and just to keep okay. us interested and engaged that's what I would say okay when you look at the big picture now uh, because Disney Plus has given us a ton of live action streaming series now. And each series has its own language. You know, it has its own tone, its own mood, its own aesthetic. Um, I have liked most of them. I think the only one I really struggled with initially was WandaVision. But, you know, Loki had its own language on how it thematically, how it played out. And, and, and again, I think Loki is a better example of what you wished for in this one, right? Where Loki did have some interesting humor and some quirky things, but they're at the at the core, there was some serious stuff going on. Um, a lot of them did, right? So even uh, Moon Knight, Moon Knight was really interesting, and and again another example of just a live action series and a and a different character um, that we hadn't seen and, and and kind of 
its own language, its own texture. So I feel like this is just another form of expression where, you know, Disney Plus has this canvas and they can now let so many different artists express themselves different ways and different mediums. So I like the language they use for this show. Um, but I, again, I, I, I enjoyed the humor, but I, I wonder how long you can sustain a series that's going to continue to this level of, of humor. And I just struggle with how is she going to fit into a, to a, a more mainstream MCU f- a feature film on the big screen unless she is going to still do what she does. And if you think about it, uh, Deadpool is a great example of a, of a feature film where that's the same style of fourth wall and humor but there's there's a threat in Deadpool, right? And there's things like that going on. But so, like, how could you mix Deadpool into the an Avengers movie? Same, it's, it's the same struggle I have with She-Hulk. I, I would think that she would have to be more of serving a part, kind of like Hawkeye, where she's a player on the team. She's providing a, a a role and a service. But I don't know that she would be the star and she would have the spotlight. You know, right. I think that there's sort of a through line with all these Disney Plus MCU shows. They're sort of trying to find, maybe they're trying to find a formula that works for all of them. But then again, I don't believe that because, as you said, each one of them seems to have their own unique approach to the material that's made to suit the main character. It was just like in the Marvel comics themselves each of these main characters fits into a larger whole, but they each have their own world under the Marvel umbrella that may be dark and gritty and brooding, or it may be lighthearted and fun, loving and sunshine and rainbows and everything else. It just depends on which character you're talking about. I think there's some things that all these shows have to work on. One thing I noticed that they are getting better at is developing the central character. And I believe that the the shows that are headlined by female characters are actually better at that from what I've seen so far from Miss Marvel to She-Hulk uh, yeah. both of those characters those characters are what keep those shows going those are the best things in both of those shows are the lead characters and I'm thinking that maybe, maybe by the second season some of these other little bumps in the road will be ironed out they probably don't really have it down pat yet they're probably trying a lot of things in these first seasons and seeing what resonates with the fans and what the fans reject. You know, I think it's kind of funny where you talk about self-deprecating humor. The season finale kind of deprecated on the entire season because she's like, wait a second, right. is this how this thing is going to end? And now she's like going to Disney to go to the writer's room to talk to the writers like, what the hell's going on? What are you doing? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we think this is great. And, you know, superhero movies have to have this and have to have that. You know, the typical writer speech of, you know, here's all the uh, building blocks we put into the template, right? And so um, I was starting to say, what the hell is going on here with the season finale? And I'm glad that it, that became part of the joke and that Jennifer actually did the same thing and, and <laughs> got to meet Kevin, which I thought, you know, as soon as they say, right. well, nobody meets Kevin, you can't meet Kevin. I'm thinking, oh, she's going to meet Kevin Feige. This is awesome. <laughs> and then it's a freaking AI system. A big AI robot. system. So, 
that has got There's, the algorithms to make all the movies. All these shows, <laughs> none, of the, none of these decisions are made by a person. They're all, yeah. or even by committee, or even by committee, they're all made according Honestly, to a robot. That, that is the frightening future of the, the path yes, we're heading is. towards with deep faking and AI and machine learning and all these things. Yeah, I thought the robot was a clever touch, a nice touch, because that's what we're all in fear of now, right? That's very current. That's something we keep hearing about, not just in the entertainment media, but just across the board, that everything is going to be run by AI or in some sort of algorithm. There's going to be no human factor in the decision making. And for art, that's sort of the kiss of death, because art is supposed to be about empathy and about us learning from each other's experiences and being able to communicate our experiences to each other and to dramatize those experiences into something that a mass audience can enjoy or get something out of but you know it was very disconcerting the idea that marvel would be you know run by a robot basically which <laughs> and, and and those of us who are fans we definitely hate that because that would be confirming a lot of the criticisms that the mcu has gotten over the last 10 plus years in terms of there being a formula at work in terms of a lot of these movies following the same template so i thought that was very clever but i will also say that season finale was emblematic of some of i think the issues with the show overall where I can appreciate, you know, what that episode was saying in terms of we don't want to end this in a very predictable or typical way. I can very much appreciate that because that's true. These things always do end in like this big blowout with different heroes fighting each other. And it would be goofy to have that kid inject himself with gamma irradiated blood <laughs> and then turn into a whole. Yeah, that's, that's completely corny and silly. And it's something that a lot of other shows would do. But, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I, a spoiler, big spoiler warning going out to, in fact, spoiler warning from here on out to anybody listening. To, to, to simply have the show sort of end with this whimper of having, you know, Emil Blonsky simply be carted back to jail and agreeing to another, was it 10, 20 years added on to a sentence? Right. And and then, mm-hmm. you know, to and, the, and the, the big bad getting arrested and she's saying, I'll see you in court. It was like, you know, I didn't necessarily want the proverbial big superpowered smackdown, but I also kind of wanted there to be some uh, dramatic payoff. Yes, and I believe where we did not get the dramatic conclusion from She-Hulk herself, I believe, if anything, the, the dramatic Easter egg or reveal or teaser at the very end is probably the close we're going to get. And that was kind of teased mid-season as well when she's trying to call Bruce about something he's on a cell phone and I was like I can't talk right now I'm on I'm on a phone I got I gotta go right um, I'm traveling or something like that and then as soon as he hangs up you see that he's in a, a spaceship flying out into outer space and right. so that kind of teased that 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 Bruce Banner and the Hulk are going somewhere and and it's probably going to World War Hulk right um, Planet Hulk, but World War Planet, Hulk, Planet yeah. Hulk, World War Hulk, something to that extent. So it was kind of teased there that this is a setup for probably a big screen feature that we'll see, you know, maybe in the theaters some point time or another. And then the big reveal, the big teaser at the end of the finale 
yes, Jennifer saved the day in a way, um, you know, caught, you know, kind of the Scooby-Doo <laughs> unmasked who, who, who was the phantom and it was old man Jenkins, right? So we got to see who, who, the, who the person who was doing this whole kind of cult thing and trying to steal her blood, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, and again, not doing a Hulk smash, but because she's a lawyer, I'll see you in court, right? You invaded my privacy. You, you defamed my character, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, but in a way that's, that's Jennifer wanting to do her job, upholding justice by the letter of the law versus a vigilante. And speaking of vigilante, one of the things I really did like was weaved through this season two was setting up Charlie Cox in the Daredevil in the MCU yes. and uh, live action and streaming. And it was teased when she was going to visit the um, the costume maker, the outfit maker, the guy who kind of like the Edna Moe. If you saw the movie The Incredibles, Edna Mode, who made all the costumes for all the superheroes, there's the guy who's the designer who makes all the suits and costumes for superheroes. And um, she was going to visit him to get a suit for uh, whatever. He, she needed some suit for a lawyer thing or whatever it was. So, And then there was a tease then where a piece of paper breaks and you see the helmet. And it's the Daredevil helmet, but it's yellow. It's not red, which is actually a throwback to the first run of the Daredevil. When Daredevil first appeared in print, this costume was yellow. They changed it to red later on. Um, so now they're showing the revised daredevil costume that's kind of red black and yellow it's kind of a mix it's got some yellow elements some red elements and some black uh highlights and stuff so to see the teaser of that costume then to see charlie cox again come in as a lawyer um, as we saw in spider-man um, and then to see daredevil her fighting alongside of daredevil her having a love interest with daredevil getting it on with <laughs> with daredevil <laughs> you know there was this oh man it was good It was good to see the daredevil on screen again uh, we could have used more daredevil in my opinion, you know, I thought he really brought something to the episodes he was on. Oh, I was very happy with the version of Daredevil that they offered. I like the fact that they showed that this character can work without being featured in a gritty film noirish world where everything is or all of his physical exploits result in blood and viscera being strewn about all over the place uh i like this sort of non-graphically violent version of matt murdoch aka daredevil i like the fact that he's able to joke around i like the fact that there's some relief to the tension that he had that he's always under whereas on netflix series it was all really going out of its way to be very dark and gritty and oppressive but here they kind of show it's just like in the Marvel comics, this is how Daredevil probably would appear in somebody else's story. His own stories can be as dark and oppressive as they want to be. But when he's in somebody else's story, he can kind of, you can kind of fashion a version of him that's sort of leaves a few of those elements behind while still being himself. Right. And I thought, right. and I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. You know, I like the relationship between him and Jennifer Walters. And I thought that was really cool. It was kind of nice to see her finally, you know, hook up with somebody that she seems to be on the same wavelength with that seems to really like her, genuinely like her. Right. Not just like She-Hulk. Um, right. No, that's the... F that, 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 those elements were really, really good. Those elements were really good. Um, if I could kind of segue into something about the second to last episode that I think is important to talk about, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. Um, 
the second to last episode is probably that daredevil episode is probably my favorite of the season and here's why i say that that gut punch at the end when basically this little sort of incel society that's been established within the reality of the show these sort of make america great again guys whoever that i can't really remember the name they use revenge porn to humiliate her publicly yeah and i thought that that was a cool device because that kind of a violation that's something that can't simply be laughed off and i thought mistakenly that the show was going to probably take a more serious turn for its final episode because here's something you know the other indignities that jennifer walters has suffered you can to some degree kind of laugh at those and still have fun even you know even given that they're kind of you're seeing a character bad stuff happen to the title character but um i did like that they stepped it up a notch to where we're getting into real violation and disrespect so i I would like to see more of that in the show in the future absolutely and 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 the other thing that 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 was touched on on that uh pre-finale right uh the 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 finale's eve like a christmas eve right the the episode before the finale the thing that that one touched on too at the end is she actually lost her shit where she had true hulk rage yes where she had not had any of that before where she had been completely in control completely cool calm and collective but having that happen and she's just, just she destroyed the video wall. She's starting to smash the building. People are running out in fear for their lives, kind of like you know the Hulk in New York City in the uh, yes when uh, in the uh, Age of Ultron, where they're you know the Hulk gets you know whatever just destroys an entire town. Um, her kind of destroying that building um, because she lost it. Um, so we saw a different side of the Hulk side of her to where she's not always in complete control that something could trigger a complete rage blackout where she's probably going to be a lot more stronger and a lot more powerful, but less in control of what she's doing, meaning right. a bigger threat, a bigger menace. Um, so that was an in- another interesting reveal of a potential side of the character that I don't know if that how well that was explored in the comics because I didn't really follow the She-Hulk comic. Um, so I don't know if she was always in control or if she had some like OG Hulk t- t- type bouts where she was completely blacked out of consciousness and was just the rage beast took over for a period of time. This was moments, not, you know, days and hours, but she raged. She Hulk, she Hulk smashed and Hulk raged for, for a spell there. And I thought that was interesting. Right. And it also speaks to an assumption that was made early on in the show where it seemed that Bruce had to work to reach the level of balance that he's now achieved. And it's suggested at the beginning of the show that, you know, Jennifer doesn't really need to do that. She already has a measure of balance and control just simply by being a woman and putting up with the things that a woman has to put up with every day living in this society. Right. But this, but that penamult or second to last episode kind of shows, no, that's not really the case. You're still going to encounter things that are going to test your patience in the worst way. And you're going to have to learn. She's probably going to have to implement some of the techniques that Bruce has to in order to keep Right. So there might be a whole nother tiki bar (laughs) retreat at some point, montage of them 
drinking and doing yoga and <laughs> or like even and even another way to look at look at that would be you know what while it's dangerous to have hulk simply just uh blow off steam in a physical violent way maybe that's almost a necessary function of being the hulk is that these kind of superpower battles when you're actually protecting the city or protecting the planet from something give you a chance to finally blow off some real steam you know right like maybe that's a necessary feature or or, necess- or like sort of a necessary bug in the system and maybe jennifer has to learn to contend with that and has to realize hey some kind of way i'm going to have to find an outlet and maybe that's going to have to be in, you know, fighting off supervillains. Maybe I have to find some more powerful supervillains to fight in order to let let off that steam to turn that valve. Right, right. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I, I think they've done a great job kind of whetting the appetite. The stage has been set. The um, the audience is here. The the, the show is, is trending very well. Um, great performances, great, great actors. Uh, great production value, as you would expect from Marvel. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to see where season two goes. I can't wait to see where where else she's used in the MCU as well, as far as how she crosses over into other streaming series and other feature films. Definitely. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I want to talk a bit about Emil Blonsky. Okay. I'm not really a big Hulk. I used to read the Hulk more when I was in my preteens. I didn't really follow it throughout the years throughout my adulthood i i did read the planet hulk and world war hulk arcs and miniseries and things of that nature but i'm not really you know a hulk enthusiast a hulk scholar or anything like that but i am familiar with the abomination i remember as a kid i had this uh comic book and record set where you play a record and it would the, yeah the book and record yeah that it would read you, you could read along but also listen along as you yeah yeah and it was all voice acted too with sound effects and everything music sound effects I had that one too yeah and um I had I had one where I think the A side was a Hulk story the A side was a Spider Man story the B side was a Hulk story and it had the Abomination in it so I'm, yeah. I have a casual familiarity with the Abomination. Uh, one of the things I would have liked in the show, and I liked how, who was that that played um, Tim Roth that, that played Emil Blonsky? Yeah, I've always been a fan of Tim Roth. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I was I'm part of the Tarantino generation. I grew up with Pulp Fiction, and well, I didn't grow up with them. I was already an older teenager by the time I saw Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. But that's a part of my youth. And Tim Roth was one of his ensemble players, so to speak. So anything that he's in, I like. I enjoy watching him. And I like what they did with Blonsky. I like the idea that he's sort of this guru, sort of charlatan, sort of, you know, uh, support group leader. Um, But again, I would have enjoyed, I would have enjoyed some balance, seeing a side to Blonsky that's more menacing, that's more frightening, not just him turning, not just him transforming into the abomination, but showing that, no, this guy really is dangerous. There is a reason why he is in a super powered prison right so, uh, like sort of a, a rikers island for supervillains. right and it's like and it, because most of us aren't going to remember 
all the way back to the Incredible Hulk because that's kind of it's an MCU film, but it's one of the more forgotten ones. So most of us right. are it was it that. was almost retconned into the MCU at the beginning yeah. of the MCU. You know, right? But yeah. I, I would have. I think that would have been just a nice bounce. Okay, here this is funny, you know. Yeah, and it's cool, and it's you know you kind of like this guy, whatever. But but remember, there is a reason why he needs a lawyer. There's a reason why he's been locked up, and we never get right. to see them. Yeah, you know, and it's um, he was definitely menacing in the um, in the Incredible Hulk that had uh, was it Edward Norton who played Bruce Banner in that one. Um, and that version of the abomination and the CG was completely different too. the way he looked. He had a much more smoother kind of skull like face with just some like spines on his back. He didn't have the fully That's formed amphibious. Like, yeah. the, ever since they did uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, they kind of reimagined his character to be more on par with how he looked in the comics. They haven't really explained how he evolved from that, but it could just be the mutation taking, you know, it's been 10, 15 years since then that the mutation just continued to run its course. Um, and so, like you say, sometimes you don't want everything explained, right? But we, we did take a visual leap from how he appeared in the in his first movie to how he appeared in his second movie, which was the uh, Ten Rings and now in She-Hulk. Um, so he seems more comic accurate in his size and in his appearance. And he's obviously strong. You know he's strong because you saw him in that kind of cage fighting match in Shang-Chi. And I love how Wong kind of pulls him in for these kind of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's the sorcerer supreme, but somehow he's got time to to do some, uh, you know, <laughs> some freaking fight club stuff for fun and, and for grins and giggles. <laughs> right. Well, um, on also, and, and also, you know, I was kind of thinking that he was going to be the big bad. When they introduced him, I think okay, this is. I was thinking this is going to be her main conflict in the show, right? Is right. having to be this guy's counsel, this guy's legal counsel, but also having to deal with, you know, his shenanigans and his nonsense, uh, you know. But it kind of didn't turn out to be that way. It just sort of turned out to be a kind of a subplot or a subthread that sort of didn't. It didn't yeah. really didn't really get resolved to me. It didn't really get resolved effectively. But again. You know, I want to. I want to reiterate. I do like this show, and I liked it mainly because of the lead actress and the title character. Yeah. And I just. I really. I think that they have something here that if they were to iron out some of these problems by the second season, they could probably win over a lot of the people who are so hostile towards this show. Okay. Well, I don't think either one of us fall into that category. I don't nope. feel any hostilities at all. No. But, I'm just trying uh, to think. I'm, if I'm, I'm having a really hard time being nitpicky, to be honest about it, uh, because I, I kind of got, I got it. I got what they were going for on their style, and their humor, and everything else. And I just kind of said, all right, this is how it is. I enjoy this. I'm just going to fasten my seatbelt and and just be along for the ride. So, looking at all the eight episodes and all the performances and all the moments and all the different takeaways. I really can't find anything I can say, oh man, I really wish they would have done something different. I, I, I don't have very many complaints. Um, I, I just felt like, yeah, this is good. And, and each one kind of leaves us. And you know what kind of reminded me of a little bit? Season one of The Mandalorian. It's it's hard to imagine, you know, because Mandalorian's been around for a while now. But when, when The Mandalorian first dropped and I started watching it, 
the thing that I found nitpicky about it was, man, this is really great. This is like a Western. This is Star Wars. It's got, you know, it's, there's nothing not to like. But the only thing I didn't like was that it every episode kind of wrapped up like ABC, ABC after school special. Like every episode kind of wrapped, wrapped up nice with a bow on it. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt like, you know, I want a little bit more edge. I want a little bit more grit. I want a little bit more threat. But I also realized, well, this is PG-13. This is Disney+. Plus. They, they got to they gotta appeal to kids as well. So it can't just be for me. But that was my nitpick on season one of The Mandalorian was you got this cutesy little green baby Yoda thing. And and he's the protector and a savior. And, and every episode has a happy ending. And that was my complaint. It's a little bit too cutesy, a little bit too wrapping it up with a bow on top at the end, end of every episode. But everything else I love. With, with She-Hulk. I can't find a lot to nitpick about because I didn't have any preconceived expectations. I knew where they were going. I knew there was a humorous element to it. I knew the show was not taking itself seriously. Um, and it was just a fun ride for me. So honestly, I just, I just enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it too. It's just, you know, that's, that's just how I am. You know, um, yeah. I tend to sometimes be the kind of guy when I look at certain things even if I like them, I'm thinking, okay, how could this be just a little better? Uh, that's yeah, just there's nothing kinda, wrong with that. Yeah. There's that, nothing that. wrong with that. Yeah. Um, right. But I don't think, regardless of us not always having, you and I are not always going to agree on things, and you and I are not going to have the same opinions about things we talk about. I don't think so far either one of us have, have been venomous towards anything uh, and how we've talked about things. Even things we don't like, I don't think we've thrown shade or hate at anything yet because that's probably just not in our personality so um there's things like i will sit here and, and badmouth the star wars prequel trilogy forever just telling you how much i don't like it but i'm not going to throw hate at it i'm not going to get nasty about it it just wasn't for me because as a super fan you know <laughs> i just didn't like those but i will never sit here and, and you know, swear and curse and scream and stomp my feet over them it just it, it just didn't work for me so um so yeah i can't see us throwing hate at anything I don't think that's in our DNA. Well, I think that collectively, fanboys, geeks, nerds, whatever term you want to use, I think that we've realized over the past few decades that the whole stomping your feet and uh, steam coming out of your ears and George Lucas raped my childhood, which I've always hated that. <laughs> I've always hated that, that phrase because it just, it just shows you just the lack of awareness that a lot of us have in terms of the implications of some of the things that we say and just how they could be interpreted by somebody else but it just doesn't get you anywhere it doesn't right. get you anywhere because i think we've shown that too also when when studios and corporations actually listen to our complaints and then try to appease us we're still not happy right you know and sometimes so, you can't you can't design by committee you can't ask no. every fan what would make the best show, what would make the best character, what would make the best series, because no two fans are going to agree. At some point in time, somebody's got to have the vision to say, this is the movie I'm going to make, this is the show I'm going to make. Hopefully people will like it, but i got to be true to my vision on this. And luckily, there are some great visionaries in the industry that are bringing things to us with so many different languages and palettes and colors and textures and flavors that um, there, there's a whole smorgasbord of content out there for us to enjoy and appreciate it and, and don't hate it. Even if it's not for you, try not to go on the web and just spew venom everywhere because it's not really helping. It's not helping 
propel the industry and propel content for us um, to be able to continue to consume. Right. And I'm also curious, you know, because they introduced uh, Hulk's son, Scar. They brought him into the proceedings, which, you know, suggests that, yes, we will get an adaptation of both Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. I've read both, but that was, you know, a while back. That was the mid to late 2000s, I think it was. So I can't really remember much. I do remember liking Planet Hulk a lot when I read it. I didn't read Planet Hulk, but I watched the animated feature of Planet Hulk, which I really enjoyed. Um, There was a ton... Before they started the MCU, there was a lot of Marvel feature-length animation where they did the Ultimate Avengers 1 and 2, which was kind of the template for what they'd later do, the live-action Avengers. They did an Iron Man 1. They did uh, a few of those, and they did a Planet Hulk. And... um, I, I liked watching it. I didn't read the comics, and I know even in the in the animated versions they adapt things a bit. But from what I recall from watching the animated Planet Hulk, I feel like Thor Ragnarok kind of was a variant of that. The whole arena setting, yes, and him and him and Thor um, in this arena setting for oh, a period of time. I feel like a lot of that is shades of planet hulk and but you know in 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 this case here uh hulk kind of self-imposed his own exile right where at the end of avengers age of ultron he gets on a ship and he just takes off he's like i've caused a lot of damage i'm no good for this world i'm leaving right goodbye and then he just kind of disappears and he ends up showing up again in ragnarok and the premise of planet hulk was basically all the other avengers kind of tricked him to get onto a ship that was pre-programmed to go to a planet that was supposed to be uninhabited where he couldn't cause anything and something happened along the way where it got redirected to an actual planet to where he becomes like a messiah on this planet his blood can like make plants grow and he gets into big fights and there's these big warring factions and all kinds of crazy stuff like that um but the battle arena part of planet hulk to me was kind of adopted into Thor Ragnarok whereas the Thor movie but based on more like the big the big chunk of Planet Hulk um, but yeah so now we're trying to weasel our way back into bringing that stuff into the MCU because obviously what we see in the movies is not exactly as it played out in the comics characters change you know storylines change so while we got part of Planet Hulk um, how are we going to see Planet Hulk or World World War Hulk is to be determined. I think that was teased in She-Hulk in the in the middle of the series where you see Bruce flying away on a spaceship. And then, again, a big teaser uh, at the end was, by the way, I'm back and here's my son, Scar. And Scar looks like he's fully grown and, and Bruce was only gone four episodes. So how do you explain all that time? He probably had to give, you know, he probably had to be baby daddy back in the days of Ragnarok time when he first was on that planet. So things have happened between, you know, the pre-Avengers Endgame till now to have a a fully grown son. Um, So how that's all gonna play out is gonna be really interesting. Right, Uh, I'm trying to think back to that Planet Hulk arc and I'm just wondering how they will, because that Planet Hulk is kind of an entire science fantasy epic unto itself. So I'm just kind of trying to think how would they be able to tell that in a condensed format i mean maybe they'll do a mini series maybe they'll do a full-on series i don't know 
maybe they, maybe that's the way to go yeah because uh, they're teasing it they're teasing it so we're going to get some flavor of it yeah yeah well we're getting something i don't know i mean because i know like i guess people would more want to see an actual hulk movie but i know there was some rights there was some rights issues between marvel and universal as far as that goes i, I think they right. may have gotten hashed out but right so that might be why they're teasing all this stuff like maybe they're getting close to being able to do a full-length hulk movie but i think the hulk has done a great job serving an ensemble where he hasn't really needed a breakout movie um and the movie would have to be really interesting um to really make him to to to, to ha- have the movie support the hulk and hulk support the movie it's got to be a big story at this point you know you can you can do it once right. in the origin story then a hulk origin story is great it can be a slow burn but we're past that now we know who hulk is we know what hulk can do so for him to have his own feature film where he's the lead character it's got to be a big story well yeah i mean when we think of the hulk now i mean everything is literally big about the hulk i mean from his appearance to his size to his battles to i mean just everything i mean it's just the hulk is the ultimate visualization of you know that childhood obsession with being strong and having power and being able to Mm -hmm. just let loose and tear stuff down nothing a kid loves nothing more than to be able to just tear something up yeah throw a fit throw a fit and and break stuff get mad and break stuff it makes it feel better until you realize you broke something that you wanted and now it's broken (laughs) right right been there been there done that (laughs) many times (laughs) right but um it's, it's kind of tantalizing to think about the possibilities if they do uh planet hulk movie or series of planet hulk movies or planet hulk tv miniseries i mean there's many different ways you can go i wish i could remember more about the series itself because i remember just really really enjoying it um and you know world war hulk is kind of a an epilogue or sequel to planet hulk and that also deals with some tantalizing ideas of the whole thing revolves around hulks there's no limit to how angry hulk can get and if there's no limit to how angry he can get there's no limit to how strong or how powerful he can get and how much damage he can cause how much how much damage he can cause i think they call him i think they call him in that at some point they call him the world breaker the that's a mind-blowing the world think about that the world breaker that's a mind-blowing idea um yeah i mean if you know, I wouldn't. I'm not one to doubt Kevin Feige and his associates if they can pull it off. Well, I tell you what would be interesting. What would be interesting too is if they had a Hulk movie that would break into the variants of the Hulk too, where you have the Gray Hulk and the Red Hulk and things like that too, where you start to break out oh. in that regard. Because I think his um, kind of like Captain America had Bucky Barnes. I think it was Rick. Uh, Rick was the teenage kid sidekick that he actually had to rescue when we were doing that first test where they were going to set off the gamma bomb out there in the middle of New Mexico or wherever it was. And then they see the kid doing a joyride out there and Bruce has to run out to jump and duck and get the kid to dive into the trench with him. Then that's how Bruce absorbs all that gamma radiation. So Rick has been his friend forever since the first issue of the first hulk back in the late 60s and i believe rick ends up becoming red hulk if i'm not mistaken later on 
And I think the whole idea of the, you know, with the Gray Hulk, when they first printed the first few issues of the of the original Hulk comic, he he actually was gray, and that was and that was the color of the ink. And then they later on kind of fixed it and made him green because I think Stan Lee was going for a Frankenstein yes. type thing. That was so, one of his so, main inspirations. Yeah, so the Hulk actually started out as gray, but then they quickly fixed him and made him green kind of color corrected that literally but then later on they introduced an actual gray hulk character that i think was kind of like professor hulk where that was where bruce banner actually maintained his consciousness and had some strength but he was a different variant from the green hulk that was completely mental right um and i think red hulk was actually rick rick jones or whatever his name was that was the kid he saved um so there's a couple of different flavors of hulk that have existed in the in the comic books that would be interesting to explore um and then, of course, things like Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, and, and who, who knows what else. I think to be safe, Hulk should probably be doing these big battles on other planets so he doesn't F up ours. <laughs> the, right. the world breaker. Don't, don't be breaking my world, Hulk. You know. <laughs> uh, but that'd be interesting to see where the Incredible Hulk, where the Bruce Banner's Hulk goes on the big screen in the future. And I'm really curious to see where um, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, will make her way into the big screen, too. That's going to be interesting. Right, right. So, I mean, who knows? We may get, you know, I think there was a joke about that in the finale about, you know, Marvel not being interested in doing a She-Hulk movie. And then Jennifer was like, what? You know, but. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny when Kevin the robot's talking to her and goes, can you do me a favor? Can you you turn back into Jennifer? Why? It's because you're really expensive, right? The visual effects are (laughs) really expensive. Yeah, Yeah. and do it off screen so we don't have to pay for the transition, right? (laughs) It's like (laughs) turn your back. Oh, I'm I'm Jennifer again, right? So, (laughs) well, that's the that's those are the things that Mr. Fahey and his associates have had to contend with. You know, (laughs) making these movies, it's like because people people forget um, they didn't exactly break the bank to make Iron Man, not by blockbuster standards. They that was relatively a streamlined production financially so it's as as they became more successful and went on and on you know it became a a bottomless piggy bank for them but still well this the thing is too is that disney bought everything so disney bought ilm disney bought pixar yeah. You know, um, so ILM is the visual effects house, right? Which then, you know, and the Disney, Disney bought Star Wars. So, you know, Disney owns all of the pieces that they need to put together these movies, but it still costs money. You still have to pay the employees and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, they're, they're getting it wholesale, at least, and not retail. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all in all, I will just conclude in summary by saying I really enjoyed season one of She-Hulk. I, I again, just coming into it, uh, with ignorance is bliss. I had I didn't know what to expect. I enjoyed the ride it took me on. I can't complain about it. Uh, I would like to see it get a little bit more serious, like you're saying too. But I do enjoy the the humorous side of it too. But um, I would like to see her face an actual challenge, right, a real yeah. threat. I should say a, a bigger threat, That's, a real threat. Yeah, you get, you have to have that eventually with any superhero franchise tv series movies anything uh comics themselves there has to be a real threat at some point roger that um so i'm done talking about she hulk season one same here okay same here well it's good to get another episode out and on the airwaves so uh thank you everybody who does listen to us and i'll just remind you 
uh, you know, we're a podcast. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, including Apple, Amazon, Anchor FM, Google, Spotify, and more. Uh, Culture Goes Pop, the podcast. You can check us out on our website, culturegoespop.com. You can send an email to us to the email address, show at culturegoespop.com. I'm Steve Strobridge. Thank you for listening. And this is Scott Wilson. Thank you again for listening. And this wraps up episode 20. We'll see you on the next episode. All right. Peace.